Thank you. Well, good morning again. <laughs> like I said, I'm Paul, and I have the uh, privilege of being the campus pastor for the new Montclair campus. Are there any uh, Montclair volunteers or people here today? Okay, three of us. All right. <laughs> it's going to be a small campus. Um, but no, it's really good. It's exciting to be here. And I want to say welcome to anyone who's watching online and to those over in the acoustic service. And again, welcome anyone who's here for the very first time. Uh, we are really glad that you are here. I came on staff here at the chapel back in November, and uh, while fairly new to being on staff, my wife and my family and I have been around the chapel for a really long time. We actually met in the old young adults ministry across the way where the acoustic service is called 737. Anyone remember that? Okay, all right. So 737, that was good back then, and then we also, both of us, um, started to volunteer with the youth groups here at the chapel. I was with the middle school, and my wife, Megan, was with the senior high. And uh, we did that for a while. And then she actually became the, children's, the chapel's children's ministry coordinator for a while. So we have a really long history with the chapel, and it's uh, just been a really great um, experience for us being here. And six months and like three days after we started dating here at the chapel, we got married. And the reason that I mentioned the three days is because Pastor Dave said you can't get married until it's at least six months. <laughs> so we figured we'd give him that extra three days. And uh, 15 years and four kids later, it seems like those three days really paid off. So uh, it's been a really good experience for us. And um, after we got married, we actually served with the chapel. We served down in Jamaica for a couple years as missionaries. And the chapel supported us there. And then along with that, I went to school, I went to Bible college, and the chapel again came alongside us there, and then went to seminary, and the chapel again supported us in doing that. And then finally, after that, went to, uh, came back here in 2009 for a few months, and I was ordained here as one of the chapel pastors and then sent off. So all throughout our lives, the chapel has really made a huge difference in our lives and our families' lives from afar. So thank you uh, for all of you who are so faithful and, and here at the chapel for so long. And most recently, a few months ago, I reached out to Dave uh, again just to get some perspective on things. We were living down in North Carolina. I was a pastor of a church down there, and um, we were just kind of sensing and seeing that God was doing, you know, about to do something different in our lives. So we had two options of what to do, kind of A or B, and we were just really wrestling with those options. And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes big decisions are really hard to make. So we were wrestling with those options, just praying about what to do. So we figured I would just call Dave and get his perspective on it and ask him, you know, here's what's happening. Because you know when you're doing something, you're so deep in it, you can't really see out of it sometimes. So I called Dave and asked him. I said, look, we have this option and this option. And he said, great. He heard about it. He heard us. He prayed about it. And he said, I'll get back to you. So the next day he calls back and I'm, we're, we're excited because it's Dave. You know, he's like, he's the man, you know, and he's going to, he's going to, He's going to give us the knowledge and the wisdom that we need. And so he comes back, and I'm ready for A or B, and he comes back and gives us option C. <laughs> and I'm like, that is not helpful. <laughs> um, so we're already bad decision makers, and now you give us three things. But what he had actually thought about and asked, suggested was, hey, you know, in a couple months here, the chapel is going to be launching a brand new site in Montclair. Would you think about maybe coming up and being a part of that? And really... Um, it was a great opportunity, and we had a great long history here at the chapel, so it seemed like a good fit, but we weren't really sure 
about what we were going to do. So we began to, we said, thank you, let's just pray and process through this and just kind of see where God is leading. So we took some time, prayed about it, processed about it, and over a period of time, it became absolutely abundantly clear that the chapel was the next step for us and our family. I mean, crystal clear. And have you ever had those times in your life where God is actually, you can like feel him tangibly real-time moving in your life, like ordaining and moving steps so that like down to the minute and down to the hour, you feel like he is leading you right where you need to be? And he was doing this for us, and it was a great, great picture of God's sovereignty and his love for us as he was moving and preparing our family to come back to New Jersey. But I want to be honest with you this morning and just kind of let you know how I was kind of processing this and what was happening. So as he's doing all these real, tangible things in my life, in our life as a family, like answering prayers down to the minute, it was kind of a crazy thing. Um, In the midst of that, of God doing all these things, something kept popping up into my head. And there was a little voice inside my head. And this is what that voice said to me. The voice kept telling me, They've got the wrong person. You're not polished enough to go back up to North Jersey. Don't you remember? This is what the voice said. It said, don't you remember all the dumb things you did growing up right down the street in Pequannock? (laughs) And then, on top of that, it kept telling me, don't you remember all the dumber things you did when you actually went to Montclair State? And now you're going to be a pastor there? wait, you're even a pastor? And this is the voice that's telling me all these different things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And what the voice kept telling me was, no, 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 you're not the person. You're too much of a mess. Don't you know all the explaining that you're going to have to do up there? And it said to me, you know, you're you're messy. You don't have it all together. And you're too much of a mess to do anything like this. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe all the time when God is speaking to you, you never question or doubt what God is doing, or doubt your faith, or what he can do in and through you. But I know, even as a pastor, as a professional Christian, uh, I have had and continue to have things in my life that are a little bit messy. And I think the one thing that unites all people everywhere is the fact that people are messy. People are messy. And here in New Jersey, it may be a little bit easier to hide that because of the culture we live in and the fast pace. We can hide it a little bit. But all over the place, everyone around us has messiness in our lives. What about you? Have you ever felt like a mess? (laughs) That was easy. Okay. Uh, Or in the South, they say, I feel like a hot mess. So have you ever felt like a mess? I mean, have you ever looked around and thought or the voice inside your head tell you, what if they only knew? Like, what if the people around you knew that how bad you had blown it in a relationship? What if they really knew who you really were on the inside or how bad, or maybe it was with a former spouse? What if the people around you knew how much of a mess you really were? Maybe it's happening now in your life, and maybe the voice inside your head is saying, if people around me only knew how bad my family was right now, we're hanging on by a thread, kids are a little bit crazy, we're not sure what to do, how to handle this. Maybe the voice inside your head is telling you, you're never going to get over this one XYZ thing that you just can't quite kick. We all have these voices inside our heads telling us these different things. Or maybe, and I think this is the hardest one, maybe the voice inside your head is talking to you about God. And the voice inside your head tells you that 
you are way too far gone to be used by God. You're too messy. You've screwed up one too many times. And he can forgive you in general, but for this one thing, he's never going to be able to forgive you for what you've done. Maybe that's the voice inside your head today, and it talks about God. And you say, if God only really knew who I was, he could never love me or use me. Or maybe you're just here and you feel a combination of all little, little messes in your life. And throughout all those little messy things, you feel like your life is one big mess. And that's a hard place to be. And that leads you to think that God could never use you or love you in the way that he uses and loves us. The problem with this thinking is that, we're t- never, is that it's not at all aligned with what the scripture teaches. In fact, the idea that you have to clean up and believe before you can belong and be used is probably the most common tactic of the enemy to keep people stuck in the mess instead of enjoying the cleansing new beginnings that Christ gives us. I want to say that again because it gives me a lot of hope. The idea that you have to clean up and believe before you can belong and be used is probably the most common tactic that the enemy uses to keep people stuck in the mess instead of enjoying the cleansing new beginnings that Christ gives us. The good news is, is that contrary to what you may have heard, feel, or been told, is that Jesus loves messy people. Jesus loves messy people. And the fact is that when he was on earth, he spent the majority of his time hanging out and investing in them. Jesus walks towards the messes. Sometimes we walk away, but the good news is is that Jesus walks towards the messy situations. One of my favorite accounts in the scripture um, is found in the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Gospels. And the book of Luke is where we're going to spend some time today. But the book of Luke talks about Jesus in a way that's uh, very, very humanizing. Luke was a doctor. So he emphasized the interactions that Jesus had with people. And some people say that the biggest miracle in the book of Luke is the fact that we could actually read it because it was written by a doctor. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I like that. Uh, But what he does is he emphasizes all the the interpersonal relationships that Jesus had. So a doctor's going out and healing people and, and just really talking about the human side of Jesus as he goes and deals with people when he was here on earth. And Luke emphasized that, and I believe that Jesus walked towards the messes then, And he still does that now. So right away as Luke begins, we're going to be in chapter 5, but just some of the context. Right away as Luke begins, we get the great story of Jesus' birth. And if you're familiar with the Charlie Brown Christmas, it's the one that Linus reads. Uh, We get that. And then it begins to talk about what Jesus does and how he does. And and he spends time, you know, engaging and walking with people. So the book begins with the birth. And then we know the chapter talks about, as we get up to chapter 5, it talks about how Jesus spent time in the desert preparing himself for his earthly ministry, getting ready to do what he said he was going to do. So he spends 40 days in the desert. And then after this, he goes back to his hometown. And there was a, there was a buzz beginning to happen about Jesus. So people kind of knew that something was different about him. And so he's going to his hometown, and he goes right into the synagogue to tell people about what he's going to do. So you can kind of hear people, like people are getting ready to hear what this guy's going to do because there's something different about Jesus. And if you know the history of what's happening, the Jewish people were taken over by the Roman culture, so they were waiting for a new king to come and conquer and give them their freedom. 
So as he's getting ready to speak, he stands up and he gets the scroll in the synagogue. And of course, it's the Old Testament. And you know, there's lots of like bringing the boom in the Old Testament. So they're like, okay, here we go. What's Jesus going to say? And this is what Jesus says when he begins to talk about what he's going to do in his earthly ministry. He quotes from Isaiah and it says this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And the people are like, wait, that's not very, you know, military. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll and sits down. And the people are like, whoa, who is this guy? What's about, what's so different about him? And then he says a couple more words and they go from loving him to wanting to kill him, but that seemed to be his pattern. And then he goes out and he actually goes and spends time with the people who he's, gonna, who he's talked about setting free. And he goes and, and spends time with people who are, have diseases and have deformities and who society deemed defective. That's a lot of Ds. But he goes out and he spends time with these people. And they're not the people that he's supposed to be spending time with. And everyone's kind of thrown off by this because he goes towards the messy people. And then... What we're going to talk about today is in chapter 5, he gets to a guy named Levi. And Levi was probably one of the messier people that Jesus interacted with because in Levi, with Levi, he was a tax collector. And you know that feeling that you get when you think about that even now? It was worse back then because Levi was a Jewish guy who came and took, and, and took a job with the Roman government who was then taxing his own people back. So he was looked at as a turncoat. He was hated by his people because not only did he work for the enemy, but he profited off his own people. He was corrupt. And he profited back off his own people. So Levi was the lowest of the low. But Jesus goes right towards him. In the the story, it picks up right here. In chapter 5, verse 27, it should be up on the screen. It says, After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what? You may be thinking, okay, what does that have to do with me? I think there's three things in this passage that really stand out and give me hope, and I think they'll give you hope as well. Number one, Jesus invests in and invites messy people to follow him. Look at the words in verse 27. It says he went out. He wasn't waiting for them to come to him. He went out and actually went after the people that no one else was coming after because he knew what Levi thought of himself. He knew that deep down, Levi knew there was a big issue and that he wasn't fit to go into the religious areas of the world. He knew that he was too far gone from God. So what Jesus did is he went out and went after him. And he knew that people like Levi and people like you and me were messy and he knows that sometimes we think we're too far gone as well. But that didn't stop Jesus. He went out to him and extended the invitation to follow him. And I love that invitation to follow him. Jesus says, follow me. 
I love that invitation because it summarizes the New Testament, I think, in two words. Follow me. God, in the Old Testament, we were trying to find God and follow after God. But in the New Testament, Jesus comes and God says, enough of this. I'm coming to my people. And now you don't have to look for me anymore. But all you have to do is follow me. And that was the invitation that Levi got from Jesus. And obviously, it was the greatest invitation that Levi ever got. Because look at what he did. Verse 28 says, And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. He just said, I'm with this guy. I don't know. I'm going. And that's how Jesus does it. He simply invites us to follow him. He doesn't say, clean up, lose weight, understand your identity, get your life in order, then come to me. No, he simply offers the invitation to messy people to follow him as they are. Number two, when you walk towards messy people, you're going to feel tension. Look at verse 29 and 30. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees, those are the religious people, and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Because Jesus invested in Levi and invited him. The religious people didn't like what he was doing because Jesus could have been doing way more religious and good things around them. Instead, he was spending time with these messy people. Jesus could have been out writing sermons or doing a small group material. But instead, he's investing in these messy people and they're thinking, oh, why in the world would he spend time with riffraff when he could be doing really good things? And he felt there was tension. But the good news and the crazy thing about Jesus is and what separated him from all the other religious people is the fact that he saw who people could be, not simply where they were now. Jesus saw who people could be, not simply where they were now. And isn't that good news to us today? And isn't that right for us as well? He sees where we could be, not just where we are. He just doesn't see our mess. He sees the potential that we have in and through him. And he goes after us. So just know that when you are walking with God and you see someone who's a little messy and you go and invest in them and spend time, you're going to feel tension as well. And that tension comes from external sources and it also comes from internal sources. I had a friend in North Carolina that came to church um, and he had a terrible history of church experience. He was abused in the church, had an abusive family growing up, you, you name it, and he had experienced it. And he came to our church one day, and for some reason, out of all the 5,000 people that were there that Sunday, he found me, and he started talking. And when we started talking, he was just kind of going off. He said, the church is this, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. They've done this, they've done this. And I'm thinking, I didn't do this. Like, why are you yelling at me, you know? Um, but I'm just hanging in there with him and spending time with him. And he just, he just unraveled this terrible story of abuse and, and just a bad, bad history with the church. And I, and I said, as, as, this, as his, you know, about two hours ended, I was thinking, you know, I want a refund from seminary because they don't really teach you about this. And as the time ended, he kind of calmed down a little bit. And for some reason, the words out of my mouth, instead of saying, see ya, thanks for coming, was, when are we going to do this again? And I was like, I said it, I was like, shoot, why did I say that? <laughs> but... Over the course of time, I began to spend time with him and invest in him. And, and for about a couple months, about two hours every Monday, we would spend time. And as I was doing that, I felt tension. You know, I could be doing other things. I could be doing small group material. I could be doing getting ready for sermons. And it just felt like I wasn't sure. And I wasn't, he was challenging me in ways I'd never been challenged before. 
but it was really hard. And I'm sure you have people in your life too that you know when you call or that phone rings or that text comes, you know as soon as that comes, that's at least a half hour of your life, right? But Jesus asks us and he challenges us to stay engaged with them and walk with them through that. The third thing that gives me hope in this passage is this. Healthy people know when they're sick. Healthy people know when they're sick. Look at verse 31 and 32. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. All the messy people that Jesus interacted with, they knew that something was wrong in their lives. A lot of them had outward issues, but Jesus used them as a doorway to get into their heart. And would it be reasonable that think, to think that Jesus still does this today? Do you think that quite possibly the messiness of people's lives around them has to deal with a deeper indicator, soul-level issue that they may have? This is what Jesus did. And because you know that when people are hurting, the deeper the hurt that's inside, the louder the cry it is. And maybe that's what's happening with people today. And I think as Christians, you and I are really good at addressing symptoms and trying to manage the messy people's outward behavior. But I think we're also really good at praying to get, praying for people, God, take them out of this situation. Take them out of this situation. Take them out of this situation. You and I are really good at that. And I think we're really good at seeing the symptoms. But maybe, instead of consistently and constantly praying that Jesus would get us and our friends out of the mess, maybe we should begin to pray that Jesus would meet us in the mess. And I think that changes how we pray. And I think that's more along the pattern of how Jesus does things. He meets us right in the middle of the mess. And whether you're going through getting fired or losing a job or chronic health issues, some of the deepest and hardest times that we want to get out of are the deepest times that Jesus gets to work in our lives. I can share that from personal experience. He does his best work in the middle of the mess. So maybe you and I can think about that a little bit differently and pray that God would meet us right in the middle of it because that seems to be his style. You may be wondering what happened to Levi. Good old Levi. What happened to the tax collector Levi after Jesus spent time with him, invested in him? So what happened? Pretty cool thing. We talked about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how they're written with a certain framework in mind. So after Levi spent time with Jesus, becoming one of his disciples, he got a new name. He got the new name of Matthew. And what Jesus did through Matthew, he wrote the book of Matthew. And the book of Matthew, the specific lens in which it views Jesus, is a way for Jesus to reach the Jewish people. So he used a guy who had turned his back on his own people, who profited off his own people, who was corrupt against his own people. He encountered the messiness, and Jesus met him right in the middle. And he used him to write the book of Matthew, which presents a compelling case to the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't it awesome what Jesus does through messy people? That's a pretty cool thing. Okay, you may be thinking, okay, I get it, messy people, but how does this apply to me? Good question. I think there's three ways to three different groups of people. Number one, if you're here this morning and you feel too far gone from God, like you've sinned too much and you're just out of his grace, the good news is that you're not too far gone. 
My hope is that through this text and through what he speak, how Jesus speaks to us, that you can see you're never too far gone and that your sin is never greater than the grace that God gives you. You're never too far gone and your sin is never greater than God's grace to you. Number two, if you're walking with God in a relationship with him, you undoubtedly have people in your life that are extremely messy. My hope is that you take time to listen to them, be open to sharing your own messiness with them, and embrace the tension and hang in there with those people. Don't be intimidated to walk towards the messes because you have no idea what God may want to do in and through that person, just like he did with Levi. You have no idea what God may want to do in and through that person that is messy in your life. And all you have to do is walk towards them and be faithful to what God has called you to do. And you may be the catalyst of God moving massively and changing the course of their life. Hang in there with them. And number three, maybe you're here and you've been praying that God would remove the messiness in your life and your friend's life. And that in many cases needs to happen if someone's in danger or, you know, being hurt. Um, but maybe when we experience pain and messiness in our lives, we can ask and we ask for a way out. But also ask that Christ would meet us right in the middle of it. And like a good doctor, he would help us to see and help others with deep causes, to see the deep causes rather than simply treat external symptoms. I love how the chapel is truly a place that embraces messy people like you and me. I'm especially excited for the opportunity to reach more and more people in Montclair. We have an amazing group of volunteers who are far from perfect, but who have embraced and understood that despite our messiness, Jesus can do amazing things in and through us. And if you have any questions about that, we'd love to talk to you about that, how you can join our messy team. Uh, you can shoot an email. My email is going to be up on the screen, and we can talk more about that. This morning, uh, we're going to celebrate communion to kind of mark this moment. And if you're like me, you probably need a constant reminder of how much Christ cares for us, even in the midst of our messiness. So today, as, we, as a way to do this together, we're going to take communion together. I'd like to invite our servers to go back and get ready to serve. And would you just spend a few seconds preparing your heart as we get ready to share this time together.